That's what it sounded like when Israeli children who have been displaced by the war and are staying in hotels near the Dead Sea got their hands on free soccer balls, board games and jewelry making kits. The toy windfall came from the Canadian founder of Spin Master Toys, Ronan Harari. Just some of the 25,000 pieces he's arranged to have distributed in Israel so far over the past two weeks, with many more to come. Harari grew up in Canada, where he and a couple of friends co-founded Spin Master in Toronto, right out of university, nearly 30 years ago. They hit it big with global sensations like air hogs, and later brought Rubik's Cubes and marketed back again, and took over Gund, and now their Paw Patrol franchise has become a household brand. After the attack and Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's declaration of war and the continuing rocket fire from the Gaza Strip, Ronan Harari decided to use his toy connections and his personal charitable foundation to join the mass civilian volunteer campaigns underway behind the lines, including to help support the unprecedented call-up of 350,000 reservists, plus the active duty troops who are already in uniform. Harari's company has a history of bringing toys to conflict zones around the world, including Israel, several times. And he remembers visiting the kids near the Gaza Strip in 2014, who were hiding in bomb shelters then during the last major war with Hamas. Those kids are the ones actually serving on the front lines. And that's the craziest part. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, October 23rd, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. It's day 17 since the surprise attack by Hamas terrorists on southern Israel. Meanwhile, the world waits for word on the fate of the 210 hostages, including Canadians, and to learn when Israel will launch its expected ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. Ronan Harari is 52, too old for combat, but he's putting his company and his personal foundation wealth to use in another way. Aside from mobilizing shipments of toys to help displaced kids who have in many cases lost everything when their homes were burned or destroyed by rockets. He's been crisscrossing the country himself, delivering socks, flipping burgers and buying hospital beds, together with his foundation's executive director, Frank Azule, a Montrealer who has called Israel home for 20 years. Azule is a father of five, and he's been recently called up himself to serve in the reserves doing logistics for his tank brigade. Ronan Harari and Frank Azule join me now from Israel. Ronan, were you already in Israel when the attack started or did you just come? Yeah, so for myself, I was here. I've been spending quite a lot of time in Israel in the past couple of years. Um, I have an apartment here and I actually was back in New York and came back on Thursday to Israel. And, uh, and then everything started on, uh, on Shabbat, started to um, activate contacts and relationships to help out with, with whatever we could and however we could help out. Absolutely. And Frank, you're there as the point person for the um, for the foundation anyway. Correct. And on uh, Simchat Torah, I had uh, one of my best friends over with his family, and he serves with me in the same uh, Miluim unit. And on Saturday morning, while I was getting ready to go to shul, he updated me with what was going on. It was already 8 a.m., so it was an hour and a half in. And he says, it seems that we're going to be called up and to not waste time, he's going to drive to his house and get his stuff ready. And he told me, take, take your phone with you to Shul in case, you know, we're called up. And I think it was right after uh, Birkat Kohanim, I was with my kids. 
I looked at my phone and we were all called up, came back home. And since then, I've been, uh, we did a, a week up north and we've then moved down south. And I come back once in a while. So I'm home now. I'm leaving in a few hours. Now, I remember when, you know, preparing for this interview, I looked up what CJN has covered before. And in 2014, this isn't the first time, this is maybe your fourth time doing toys and other things for, for the kids in, in Israel who are displaced or in shelters. Why don't you walk me through that first phase of your uh, humanitarian operation? Either of you can jump in. Uh, we started this thing called the Toy Movement, which is uh, to send toys to kids that are displaced or kids that are refugees in many countries around the world. We started in 2014. Our first mission was to Jordan to help uh, kids, uh, mostly Syrian refugees. And since then, we've probably done 20 missions around the world, everything from um, going to uh, South Africa, to Colombia, to I personally did a trip to Iraq myself in 2018 um, in Erbil. Uh, so many, many missions. Um, and unfortunately, I never would have ever imagined that we would have to do something at this scale uh, with this many displaced people here in Israel. And so when uh, the war broke out, as I think on Monday, we had our first distribution of toys. And what we started doing was we started buying back stuff from our distributor here in Israel. Um, and we went to their warehouse in Ashdod and six cars went down, picked up boxes and started bringing it to uh, the displaced kids in Israel, and uh, we've been doing that every day since. Um, currently, we've, we've distributed 25,000 toys, um, and uh, we're going to continue uh, doing it every single day. And unfortunately, the need is, is super high. I even got a unique request today from a friend of mine who's serving in, in the north, um, and I said to him, can we bring you food? Because we'll tell you about our food truck program. And he said, we don't need any food, but can you bring me some toys? And so I said to him, sure, what do you need? And he said, I'd love for the reservists to have toys to bring back to their kids. And I was just like, wow. So um, those are the type of things that we're, we're doing here with the toy movement. And it's great. We've had our competitive, we've had all the toy industry jump in. Mattel's donated toys, Hasbro's donated toys, uh, MGA. Um, and many of the toy companies are... Um, and do they still do air hogs? Oh, first of all, I, I love you for branching air hogs because it's close to my heart. Uh, we don't make a lot of air hogs anymore, unfortunately. Or Bakugan, do you make those? No, Bakugan, yeah, we still make it and we've been delivering, thank you, we've been delivering a lot of Bakugan to the kids. It's, uh, they love it here in Israel. It's really popular, actually. Okay, so you said you, said you have a warehouse. I want to know logistics. How do the toys... Um, they're all in Israel already, or and the trucks, how do you get them where they have to go? So our warehouses, are, our distributors are full of products that they bought from us. So things like Paw Patrol or Rubik's Cube or et cetera, et cetera. Logistically, it's everything from volunteers. The most amazing thing that you see now in Israel is people for the last two weeks, everybody's been volunteering. They've been driving their own cars, picking up packages, taking them to destination, no question asked, full trust. It's the most inspiring thing that... that um, we've seen. Um, so there's that. And then there's bigger stuff. So for example, on uh, Wednesday last week, I went to Ofakim. We worked with uh, Brothers in Arms and they brought a huge truck because we took down 1,200 uh, toys. So they brought a truck and they also brought two other cars with um, these amazing uh, older gentlemen in their 60s. And they were all carrying 
um, and they drove in front of the big truck and behind our car to give us protection just in case, God forbid, something happened on the way down. And we're going to say carrying. They were armed, right? Correct. They were, they were all carrying. They were armed. So I would say to deliver the 25,000 toys, so far probably 15 different organizations have helped us and 85 civilians have just, just delivered in their cars. Um, is there any thought of toys for the other side this time? There is. And I think at the right time when when um, they are settled and there's access and there's ability to bring in humanitarian relief, I think that we will deliver some stuff to them. Uh, kids are kids. And the most important thing is that kids have some form of relief and some sort of uh, distractions from what's going on. And um, we're thinking about delivering gun plush. So we have these amazing stuffed animals that are like, they look like polar bears. And so we're in the process of bringing about 25,000 of them into Israel. Um, and at some point in time, we'd like to bring them to the kids in Gaza. And I want to ask you about the other operations. But first, I want to talk to you. I know that you, you're saying, Frank, you served in the South. Um, what have you seen that you would like to tell our listeners? What, can you describe what you're seeing? I would say two things. One is the love and support we're getting from everyone, whether from Israel or outside of Israel. And uh, don't underestimate it. It really, really helps. No matter what you do, no matter what people do, we're, we're amazed and it motivates us. And the second thing I want to say is about the motivation of the soldiers. I've never seen something uh, something like this. And, I, and, and I'm with, we're, we're with thousands of soldiers every day. Uh, I personally, I, I care. I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in a seven brigade tank unit, but I do the whole logistical side of uh, the operation and caring for the soldiers. So I meet thousands of them every day. And the motivation is at the highest point possible. So those are two two. Two little uh, things I'd like to share. Okay, and in terms of um, the hostages and what have you, I mean, what is the mood in Israel now? Because there's so many hostages, must be people are freaking out. Listen, I I think the whole country's in trauma. And I think that uh, everybody's dealing with it in their own way. I think people are, are still very shocked with what has actually transpired and still trying to process everything and take it in while managing a war and managing loved ones who are serving on the fronts and parents with their kids that are now serving and then parents with younger children who are not in school and people going to funerals. It is, I, I, there's no words actually to describe the pressure and the intensity of this, of this situation. If if I may add, uh, something uh, along those lines. Uh, I have five kids uh, between the ages of 10 and 17. And so there's no school. They weren't in school for three weeks with holidays before. And then the day they were supposed to, the day after they were supposed to start the school, everything happened. So they haven't been in school for two weeks now. So it's five weeks in total. And it's complicated. Okay. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm down south. My wife has a position she needs to work, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. It's not easy. Uh, fortunately, our kids volunteer and occupy themselves by doing good deeds. Uh, just for example, this Shabbat, uh, t- we have twins, our 16-year-olds, boy and girl, Yariv and Leah, went to Masada Youth Hostel, to uh, where this is a place where 
residents from a southern city were uh, moved, relocated. And so they went to take care of their kids, babysit, you know, do, do some activities with them. And uh, in our village, uh, about 50% of the men were called up in the army. So uh, many houses, either the father or the mother or both aren't at home and they have small kids and there's no school system. And so the teenagers in, the, in, in, our, in our village go out and volunteer and take care, take care of them also. There's a bunch of examples like this. I can go on and on. It's just, that's the beautiful part. I, you know, two weeks ago, we were, we, the, the, the people were broken in, in Israel. You know, it was like you know, left and right and division was big. And, and then in, in a few hours, every, everything reconnected. That unity, I think, is what's, that it's, it's good positive energy, which we need right now. You mentioned you're in touch with the soldiers because you're personally there. But um, you also mentioned that you were trying to equip bases. How are you allowed to just like drive stuff in there and, and get stuff to them? Tell me how that whole thing works and what are you bringing to, to the bases and the soldiers? We went out and we, we bought um, basic goods like warm long sleeve shirts for people in the north, underwear, socks, towels, and t-shirts and rain jackets. It's amazing because everybody's connected on WhatsApp here in Israel. And it's, there's all these WhatsApp groups and everybody knows people that are on bases. And so it's just been very organic, but people needed stuff. I mean, I, people left like Frank, people just left from Shoal on Saturday. I mean, at the Shoal that I was dubbing at, people were just leaving one after the other, after the other, um, and going to, to do their duty. So they left without any stuff. We were, I don't know how much you're aware of what's been happening in the diaspora in terms of Toronto or, you know, Montreal or out West where they're having clothing drives and equipment drives and medical drives, and they've been sending cargo planes. Are you guys aware of this from home? Absolutely. Because that's shocking to us that Israel doesn't have all this stuff, but then you think 350,000 people being called up at the same day, of course they don't have it all, right? But so, I mean, I don't know if that stuff is also making any difference. Are you at all aware of any of that stuff? First of all, absolutely. We are aware because we, we, get, we get this and we see it coming from abroad. We see the origin of the packages. We see the letters that are written inside. It's just the most beautiful things to, to open every time. Really, I mean that. You send me some pictures, Frank, of a food truck, and I don't know how many hamburgers that you run in. You were flipping. Tell me about where where that was and why you need to feed. I mean, obviously, you know Napoleon's famous line: "You don't uh, an army doesn't march on an empty stomach," or whatever the the words are. But you know what I mean. First of all, I just want to go back to your previous point. It's not that the army doesn't have everything for the soldiers right now, okay? And it sounds as if it's very alarming, and we don't have you know army doesn't have. The truth is, it's an, it's 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 a, we never had a situation like this where we had over three hundred fifty thousand soldiers who were called up in less than twelve hours, on top of the uh, active uh, um, duty soldiers, right? And so it's a, also a logistical question to bring equipment from A to B and to match it with where the soldiers are deployed. So the whole thing is complicated, and you know the, every day that passes, whoever is supposed to be getting what they're supposed to be getting. Is arriving so so it's a question of time also and yes it was a lot of panic at the beginning uh, but in terms of the food truck what happened is that uh, we have a very good friends of, our, of ours his name is Yossi uh, they're two brothers Yossi and Asher Ochana they have a great restaurant called Hakna Anit which also has a food truck and like many of all these small businesses in Israel for the past two weeks almost all of them depending on which region were completely closed so they're losing a lot lots of money because they still need to continue paying their rents and, and loans and whatnot 
Um, and so, th- so we thought of the idea of doing, you know, two good deeds uh, in one by donating uh, to his food truck in order for him and his family to operate it and have an income. And at the same time, using it to feed soldiers for free. And so uh, it's a good combination. It's fun. It's, it's, uh, the, we, we, we did it twice already uh, with two different units. One was a Givati unit down south. And the second one, the pictures I sent you, was Duvdevan unit in Mishor Adumim. And they got over 800 meals that day. And yes, it's, it's delicious. It's different from the regular army food they get every day. It gives them good energy. It shows them that people care. And, you know, on our end, I, I mean, Ronan can speak for himself, but on our end, to be able, you know, we feel that we want to do something. And, and so everybody that has any idea and, it, and it, they connect, they relate to it, they just move forward with it. And it makes an impact. I, we spoke with hundreds of soldiers that day. They were so appreciative about this. And we have, we have two, two others planned this week. Ronan, you were bur- made flipping burgers. Did you do this food thing the last in 2014 and in the other wars? Or this is first for you? You know, I'm not that good in the kitchen, but I thought I would uh, give it a shot. And uh, it's, yes, I, I, I went there to work a little bit. It was great. I mean, just seeing the soldiers and feeding them. And they did eat a lot of burgers. There was a few people eating double burgers. <laughs> um, They're 23-year-old kids. That's what happens, right? You have two more food trucks this week. You've got toys coming in. What are, what are you focusing on now? We made a donation to uh, Gehadassi and Karim in Jerusalem, where we... Uh, bought a couple hundred hospital beds because they're setting up a, an extra space unit um, just in case things are needed. But we've shifted, I personally shifted my attention now to an organization called Mate, which is um, helping represent some of the families of the hostages or the abducted people and keeping the awareness, trying to keep the awareness high for uh, the hostages. In 2014, you were doing a lot of distribution in these small villages and kibbutzim next to the Gaza border. And I wondered, you know, when you heard about this, what do you remember? Now that you're bringing I remember the kids there that uh, they were stuck in the bomb shelters for days on end at that time. I remember they were just happy kids and doing what they do. But the crazy thing is now that you ask the question, what do I think about now is like that they're growing up, that they grew up in Unfortunately, they're having to do what they're doing, but they're doing it with, with, with bravery. And the craziest part is the intergenerational trauma that's created. And you would have wished that those kids, they grew up with trauma because they had to be subjected to the rockets in 2014. And now their families are continuing to be subjected to it. And now they're serving and they're protecting. And um, so it's... A, it's it's so much to it's so much to grasp. It's actually very sad, but the incredible part is I think the work that the soldiers are doing, um, and the, the work that Frank is doing, and all the Milouim, and everybody protecting the country and making sure that this is not going to happen again. And it's truly inspirational. Um, and not growing up here in in Israel, I don't think I can fully relate 100% to what the Israelis are going through. Uh, my parents are Israeli, but I never grew up here. And it's just, it's terrible and inspiring at the same time. It's terrible and inspiring. The inspiration is just the willingness for people to give their life for this Jewish country. 
they are giving their life and they're doing it with they're doing it proudly and bravely um, and generously. Thank you for sharing that. Frank, did you want to jump in before we end? My, my twins were at the Masada Youth Hostel, I told you, on, on Shabbat. They were down south, and these kids were, tell, were, were, were being kids and telling them, whoa, this is great, vacation, and there's a pool. Can we, do, can we go play basketball after? And like, Kids are kids. Imagine the trauma they just went through, and then you're able to... I have no words to describe. You know, I was listening to their stories between what their kids were telling my kids, it was surreal. It's not normal that a nine-year-old kid has to go through this. It doesn't make any sense. And now we're talking about 100,000 Israelis that are displaced from their homes. There's not enough hotel rooms in the countries. We're going to start opening tents and sports complexes. What is this? It doesn't make any sense. And, and we're, it seems, only going to get worse before it gets better. So I don't know where we're going with all this, but we're, like Ronan is saying, I'm very positive, I'm very proud, and we're 100% in, there's no going back, and you know, we'll prevail in the end, I have no doubt about it. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. To learn more about the Canadian-sponsored food truck that's been visiting army bases and funded mainly by Harari and Montreal's Jewish community and lawyer Lawrence Witt, go to the link in our show notes. There's also a link where you can donate. And we can't show you the video from one of those visits to the bases because this is a podcast, so it's audio. But this is what one of those burger visits sounded like. Thanks for listening to the CJN Day. My name is Guy Erez. I'm from Jerusalem. My name is Kai. I'm from Unit 890. I'm from Zichon Yaakov, and we're here to take down the Hamas.